We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And last night, Lakers jumped out to a 2-1 series lead over the Memphis Grizzlies with a 35-9 first quarter in front of an absolutely electric crowd in downtown LA. Uh, The Lakers made it interesting, as they always did, uh, and doing... No small part to John Morant scoring 22 consecutive points in the fourth quarter. But the lead never got below 10, which is where the final margin was. Lakers win 111 to 101. D, this is a a Lakers team that I've lamented a little bit of their propensity to jog the last 20 meters of the race. Sure. I think I can focus on that a little too much. And I want to flip it to the Lakers have made a couple of playoff teams now look really bad on offense for very long stretches. And this ability to go on prolonged defensive runs, I think, is the foundation for whatever the best version of this team can be. Now, the ability to sustain that through 48 minutes, I don't think is is even a reasonable ask. Um, but there's certainly a Jekyll and Hyde aspect where the Lakers are often either that or the version that's getting scored on in the first four or five seconds, right? But that's the lowest scoring quarter any team has had in the NBA this year. Jaw was back. They had their full complement of players. They missed a ton of shots, right? It wasn't just the, the Lakers yep. defense, but that was an incredible start to that game. It's like the predator meme, right? The handshake meme. Uh-huh. On one side, you have the Lakers defense and on the other side, you have the Lakers crowd. And in the middle, it's Memphis missing every shot. Yes, because I <laughs> because I sort of felt like the Lakers did a very good job, I think, of making the Grizzlies uncomfortable in that first quarter. And Mm -hmm. rotating well, challenging shots at the basket. And I've been using the term snowball a lot in the last several pods and mostly in relation to to Anthony Davis. And we'll get to Anthony Davis again later in this pod. Um, But things started to snowball on Memphis a little bit where even then the shots that were open or the shots that weren't contested, those were rattling in and out and rolling off the rim where some of that's bad luck. But some of it's just like we just don't have it going right now. And that's based off of all of those factors combining together. Right. The, The crowd just 
absolutely amazing Lakers playoff crowd. Um, yes. And then the the Lakers themselves channeling that energy, which they spoke to a lot right after the game. So I thought it all sort of combined for the Lakers to really blitz Memphis early. And I wrote this in my recap that's up at Lakers.com. But when you get up on a team by so much very early on, the rest of the the rest of the game is this negotiation mm-hmm. on how much you're going to give and take in order to keep the lead at a respectable place. And I thought they mostly did that through three and a half quarters. And then over the last stretch, it was jaw in his last, this sort of last grasp attempt to make the game something that it had not been mm-hmm. to that point, which is competitive. And he, he did put, I don't want to say the fear into the Lakers, but but he did sort of make it so it's just like, uh, uh, yeah. okay. And that sort of thing What's, can bleed through into the next game too, right? Like in a can. series basketball in particular, like there's value in finishing a game strong even if you don't win it. And so I – I think that a lot our defensive intensity and I, I think Ja is the perfect type of player to take advantage of the Lakers' worst habits in that respect. Mm-hmm. So I think it was a lot of that. But yeah, this is game four is going to be uh, going to be a barn burner, I think. But the Lakers' capacity to get to this level defensively, like through three games, and we watched a couple of other series trans, you know, progress through three and four games over the course of this weekend. I think you have a decent idea of who's who by this point of the series. Mm -hmm. And I've thought the Lakers were clearly better than Memphis when Anthony Davis is on the floor. The only time I've thought the guys across from us are are better than than our team has been when he's been on the bench. Darvin made some adjustments to the second unit, not the ones that we talked about. And maybe we'll get into that later. But the uh, that you know, through three games has been one of my my big takeaways is just they're having a really difficult time scoring against this Lakers team. And the one win they did get was when they held the Lakers to a season low in 93 points. And so just this consistent defensive effort. I can't believe AD got so few votes for defensive player of the year, man. He's blocking he no five votes. shots a game. Yeah. And like he played more minutes he got a vote than at all. He got he played more minutes this season than Jaron Jackson Jr., who won the award. So this idea of it being availability a matter of availability why you wouldn't vote for him that obviously doesn't come into play played more than jackson did and so i don't know that's like a certain just dereliction of duty to me like if you watch this series anthony davis is so omnipresent defensively talk to me about about him on the defensive end and then i'd love to hear your thoughts of him on offense so ad defensively he is such an interesting defensive player because omnipresent is is a great word because he really can be everywhere And I mentioned this in a pod that we did where I talked about this blast radius that AD has, right? Because Mm -hmm. he has this way of impacting things that are further out from him than what you would expect a player to to be able to. And and his presence is, is felt in ways where guys feel comfortable starting to challenge and then they realize, oh, no, it's too late. Like, I've entered that zone. And and then their shot gets altered or it gets blocked. And mm. he has been so good, I think, at measuring what is needed of him defensively. Like, some of these blocks he's getting, man, like, you brought this up last year or two seasons ago about AD mostly challenging shots with his 
right, right hand. hand. Yeah. When he's blocking shots. Now he will reach in and get steals with his left hand. And he is very good at getting deflections with both hands. But when he's blocking a shot, he is blocking them with, with his right hand. And so one of the things that they teach you or that when you're young, right, is that, well, if a guy is coming down the right lane, right, and he's going to shoot with his right hand, you challenge with your left with your hand left. because that's the hand that is going to meet. And it's one of the advantages that I always had as a left-hander, Pete, is like I'm yeah. playing against a bunch of right-handed players and Likewise. my natural way to reach in or close out high against their shot hand is with my dominant hand. So I always right. felt comfortable that way. And and if you turn your body to to, to reach across, say you want to challenge a right-handed shooter with your right hand, you got to reach across your body to do that. And when you turn your body, you're more susceptible to picking up fouls. But a, that's where AD is just <laughs> – he's one of those guys that can break the rule. Right. And he's kind of got this Gumby ish type quality to him defensively where he bending back and reaching this way. He just gets to angles that other guys don't get to. Well, what he does, too, is that because he is so proficient at at blocking shots in general, but he's always doing it with his right hand. He has different block angles than a lot of other players. And so he is often tracking a ball and taking it to the backboard when guys are shooting over the top of him with his right hand. And so he is like, he sees the shot go up and he's turning, he's jumping and turning and then being like, oh, there it is. And then it's mm. like skeet shooting to a certain extent, right? Whereas it's like, <laughs> yeah. but but that's what he's doing. He is tracking the ball when it's in the air. And so he is taking the ball to the glass. That ability to then alter all of these shots and, and play such great positional defense as well. Like there's just few players who have expertise in all of these different facets of defensive basketball. And, and so- the way he flips his hips, the way that he gets down in in a stance, the way that he appropriately plays with range on switches against guards. He mm -hmm. does so many things so well that he's just an elite defender all of the time. And if I could throw one more element into that is his defensive rebounding, I thought was huge in yesterday's game. He only got eight boards in game two, the game that we lost. And Tillman was a, a real pain on the boards in particular. And one of the strategies that a lot of teams use against us is to really crash the offensive glass. And when AD can not single-handedly hold it down, but you know, have so much of that covered, it allows the Lakers to get out into transition. And it's a way of, along with all of the wonderful things that he does as a help defender, as an on-ball defender, his ability to finish a possession with a defensive rebound yep. and then get the Lakers out in transition. I've loved his outlet passing, especially the second half of this year. Like he's been, you know, some great hit-aheads that have gotten the Lakers out on the run. And so there's just that multiplicity of dominance that he has in so many aspects of the game. And we also got his first 30-point game of the series uh, in, in last night's game. So the Lakers, I thought, made some interesting adjustments in that second half in particular in terms of getting Anthony Davis the ball. They got him. He got 24 shot attempts, which is right in the area that I would love to see him getting on a regular basis. But there have been a lot of nights where that's been 14 instead. And so what's the difference in that game last night that led him to get that many shot attempts? So I know you're asking me the question, but I'm going to put it back to you because you actually sent us the text message being like, I love what they're doing in terms mm -hmm. of adjusting to get AD going offensively. And so what were you seeing? Because 
I have thoughts, but I want to hear your thoughts first. So he took four threes for one. That's just a very small thing, but it's just like, take some jump shots, mix it up, make them respect. You only made one of them, uh, but, you know, took a couple more jumpers, but his... He's often been used either as a role guy or as a post player, but he has some ball handling ability that is the real thing that can make him just impossible in a lot of ways. And the Lakers started going to that a lot more, a lot of the handoff, fake handoff type action where he's able to change directions in ways that the Xavier Tillmans of the world are not used to defending perimeter players that can, that are that big, that can change that direction and, and, when you have that much of a size advantage over the defender, you really just need to get a sliver of daylight and then AD can seal it and go over the top of it or go to the basket. He had, a, what, 10 free throw attempts in that game, I believe. So all of that, like, I think that is really what unlocks him offensively this series is put the ball in his hands beyond the the free throw line, beyond the post, beyond just as a role man. And he can create out of that in ways that I thought we really saw last night. Yeah, I thought one of the actions that was really nice was just dribble pitch stuff. So a lot of what the handoff mean? stuff. So Dennis was starting on, and this happened a lot with Dennis. And I think that this is actually a good use of, of Dennis's like on ball sort of burst and thrust mm-hmm. that he can have when, when he's um, cause he's the one guard the Lakers have that really looks to get down downhill all of the time. And so they were basically running in, in X action. Right. And so, AD is on the right side, sort of like in almost like a horn setup, the way that the Lakers would where AD is at the right elbow area mm-hmm. or even lurking above the break a little bit. And Dennis is on the left hand side. And so what Dennis started to do was dribble towards AD and Sacramento runs and the Warriors run these yep. handoff actions, right, where the ball yep. starts with the big man or the ball is entered to, to the big man. And then the big man starts to like pivot and then hand off and or do keeper actions. And the Lakers mm-hmm. do a lot of this as well with with AD. And and that's great. But that can also be scouted, too. And so this was one of the first time in, in a long time, Pete, where I've seen this specific action where Dennison has has the ball and he starts to try to get down downhill a little bit by dribbling towards AD. AD then rubs off of Dennis and just receives the ball and instantly the ball is on the ground and he's got the ball in an attack position with a live dribble, right? And he's on the move. And that's another benefit. Great point. That is... Or th- that's just another way to to take advantage of what AD specific skill set is. And one of the things that I liked about this as well is that they went to it at a time in the game where Jackson was already in foul trouble a little bit. So he's got mm. three fouls. Mm-hmm. He's got four fouls. And now it's just like AD, I thought this was the the, the very like mental engaged part of AD's game where he's got a lot of this awareness of this dude's not going to want to foul me. He's already fouled me a couple of times. And so now I'm just going to take it to him and make him defend without fouling. And I thought that's where he was just like, Hey bro, like you stuffed me a little bit on those posts, like those isolation post plays where, where AD was trying to like, he's got that great rip through going left to yep. to the baseline and Jackson created a turnover there and he smothered him and sort of altered his shot and almost got got a piece of it. So AD is like, no, no, no. 
no more of those. I'm instead going to get the ball on the move and I'm going to attack you. And he had that great hard dribble left and then drop step back middle with with a dunk over the top. And it's just like, yes, that's yeah. what you need need to do. And one of the other things I appreciate about AD, Pete, is we've talked about this a ton. Him being a rhythm player, the more shots and the, the more he feels the ball, the more comfortable he starts to feel in taking the jump shot. I feel like the fewer, like that expansion of his game into shooting the jumper more, that's not going to come. He's not going to have a game where he takes 14 shots and 10 of them are jump shots. I don't want He's going to have, like he's going to have, if if it's 14 shots, it's 10 of those shots are in the paint. Yeah. Right. But if he's got a 20 attempt game or a 24 attempt game, that's when you're going to see, oh, well, eight of those are jump shots or nine of those are jump shots, because that's the extra layer of of his offense. And that feels the right proportion to me. And that's just the way it works for him. Yeah. Just as a frame of reference during the 2020 playoff run, 35% of AD's shots were jumpers from 16 feet or more. And again, I bring up the game two in the Western Conference Finals where we drew up a play for him to hit a three on the move, right? To to knock that down. And so I do think you're correct, though, that it's a function of the rhythm that he's in. And so I thought the Lakers did a, a great job of getting him the ball. Let's take a break. Come back. Talk more last night's game. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So, Pete, one of the big stories coming into game two was the LeBron and Dylan Brooks storyline, mm-hmm. right? And Brooks had gotten um, a lot of headlines for some comments he made about LeBron. And there was a lot of commentary around this the last couple of days to the point where after it was either shoot around or the off day practice, LeBron basically cut his media availability short. And he's just like, I'm not here for the BS. Mm-hmm. Like, it's going to be a great game. Basically, show up. Settled between the lines. It's settled between the lines. Yeah. And so I thought LeBron 
in talking about the energy of the crowd and the energy of the game and the defensive energy, I thought LeBron being aggressive and assertive early offensively, even though they were jumpers, right? He got a runner. So first play of the game, the Lakers have typically run actions for D'Angelo Russell. And this time they ran an action for LeBron James. Right. They did a lot of stuff, a lot of movement, and it turned into a movement pick and roll for LeBron and AD for LeBron to get downhill. He would have easily passed to AD, I think, if they left AD, but they did not. And so the action is just drifting. LeBron hits hits a nice runner, then hits a step back on Tillman. Um, And overall, I just liked LeBron's early level of aggression. Uh, and not that it was like, oh, I'm going to go get Dylan Brooks or anything like that. But I was sort of looking for what is LeBron's level of engagement going to be? And I thought the Brooks stuff only aided in that idea of, oh, no, you're going to get a very ser- serious LeBron. And even before the game, he went over and he talked to Brooks. And after the game, mm-hmm. he made some mm-hmm. comments like that was very purposeful. Like this was not handled in private. This was public for everyone to see and i thought it was a very like alpha game from lebron Mm -hmm. in good and bad ways so so it it, some bad ways not a lot of bad ways but it was mostly good it was pretty good yeah it was right but yeah no it's funny he had a couple of heat checks early on too he got a couple buckets right hit that jumper on tillman and then he's like all right i'm pulling up from 30 i feel the swell in the crowd and one back rim just a little bit uh, another one rattled in and out they were online right now is really encouraged to kind of see even those type of jumpers he's getting there closer and closer with his jumper um but he started off of the ball a lot often in the right corner and i thought that they did a good job of like if you're gonna if, if LeBron is going to be as a guard and perimeter player, you were talking about AD being on the move. I think it's important for LeBron too, especially now, right? The days of him, like when everything's stagnant, being able to beat the defender across from you, when there's two guys kind of stunting one pass away, is very difficult to do when a defense is set like that. And so kind of getting some motion involved in that, I think is super important. He mixed in some post play, but not as much as the, of, of the, uh, as the previous game, but I thought his guard instincts were really good in this game and just his management of the game from that respect. And that's one of the things I really like about this team. And this kind of flows into Delo. I'm curious about your thoughts on his game yesterday, because I think even, you know, Doris Burke had the stat about how Delo's never shot 45% in a playoff game. And I think that there are reasons for that, particularly with his scoring and jump shooting, but his passing, and he can galaxy brain a pass here and there and kind of try to fit something into a, a tight window, but his passing is so consistent and his ball handling and just like ability to run a play, that allows LeBron to operate off of the ball in ways that he's devastating off of the ball even still and I think that there's an ability on offense for LeBron to fit in wherever he needs to that's different than a lot of the other teams he's ever played on and so I just I loved his navigation of that he helped out in a whole bunch of ways last night totally and just so that we're clear I said that in some bad ways too LeBron had this was mostly in the third quarter and some in the fourth quarter as well where he just had some like I'm just going to dribble a lot at the top of the key and then yeah, take a, and take and take a jumper. And so that sort of plays into that idea of like I'm going to run out the clock a little bit and navigating mm-hmm. the scoreboard more than you're navigating the team 
in front of right. you. And right? every once in a while, I'll hit this step back three with three seconds left on the, you know, to keep, to keep us in it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so it's a great point you make, though, about LeBron's off-ball work. Um, he had a super important cut at the end of the game where Memphis was in their run, and he ended up drawing two free throws from um, a foul that, who was it, Kennard? I think Kennard sort of, LeBron seeked some contact against uh, Kennard, but he had a great cut off of an AD shallow post up from the right wing. LeBron cut from the left-hand corner and just basically cut right through Kennard. And then Kennard was trying to get out of the way, but LeBron's just like, nope, like I'm going to body you regardless. And he missed a shot, but because he missed, I think he got the free throws. That's how the NBA works these days. The shot doesn't go in, then it's a whistle. And that's the mm-hmm. sort of like where incidental contact turns into contact that impacted the shot. And that's a referee decision. Um, there was another referee decision that I wanted to get your thoughts on with like the Brooks <laughs> suspend with, yeah, yeah. with the Brooks ejection. But in terms of LeBron as as an off ball worker and that combination i think delo it's important for delo but i also think it's true of of austin as well like when lebron starts to trust the ball handlers around him he will cede control um not all the time but enough to diversify the team's offensive Mm -hmm. attack and look lebron's one of the few truly great all-time sort of guard perimeter players that is as comfortable as an off-ball worker as he is as an on-ball attacker, right? And, and so he is such a great cutter and he is such a great finisher that he doesn't always need to create with the ball in his hands. Now, young MJ was like this. Kobe was like this as well as like mm-hmm. a practitioner within the triangle offense where he could really work and maneuver off, off of the ball. And it wasn't always this idea of, oh, well, let me isolate. But... LeBron and his cutting, I think, is and his spot up shooting, particularly as as a weak side spacer. Those are things that are going to be needed from from him more and more, I think, as as the playoffs advance, because he's not necessarily the same one for everyone is pinching and I'm still just going to get to the basket like that's hot. That's hard. Yeah. And he doesn't look like he has the same explosive burst with a live dribble. And Memphis is just such a good defense that these are the sorts of ways that he's going to need to attack, I think, is is working off of the ball, too. Yeah. And I thought he's done a wonderful job of that. And I think the Lakers offense is solving some some things. Um, Speaking of the. Part of the game I've been super zeroed in on are, have been the non-AD minutes because the Lakers have been really good in the AD minutes. He was another, what, plus 12 or something in, in last night's game and has been a, you know, a, a huge positive in the series. But the Lakers tweaked their, their lineup and rotation a little bit. So one of the things, you notice Austin didn't close the second quarter and didn't play very much in the second quarter, which has been a quarter that the Lakers have been bad in recently, which may be something that that we revisit. Um, But he ended up playing 35 minutes because he played the entire fourth quarter. So it was curious that Darvin was making sure that they got, that he got a, a full closing shift from Austin in that fourth. But to start that second quarter, uh, Austin was in the game, right? And that was one of the adjustments. It was Dennis, Austin, Troy. Beasley had played more in the the first quarter. Or no, I'm sorry. I I I got this mixed up. It was Dennis, 
Austin, Beasley, Rui, and LeBron. And that group held up okay, but I'm curious, just that part of the game, those non-AD minutes, we did a few different things. What did you know? What did you notice? Yeah, I thought that they played three guards a little bit more too. And so one of the first subs that they did actually was they played Dennis, D'Lo. And so this was with, I, I think this was actually with AD at first, but they played yeah. Dennis, D'Lo and Austin together, which is something mm-hmm. that I'm interested to see, like if they get to that a little bit more. In terms of the non-AD minutes, I'm, so the tricky thing for me, Pete, is that this game specifically, I don't think it tells us a whole lot about like what those minutes are going to be. Yeah, you're probably right. Because of the fact that the score was so lopsided to start the second quarter. Mm -hmm. And then, and then in the third quarter, the Memphis actually started the rally and then the Lakers took control again at the end of the third quarter to make another run to push it to 20 to to go into the fourth. And so at the start of the fourth quarter, I thought that Darvin did do the thing again where he like took one of the he he took one of the um the two threes out of the rotation, right? And right. so this time I think it was Beasley who sat Whereas mm-hmm. in the last game, it was Troy who yeah, sat. Yeah, and Beasley, Beasley played like 11 minutes in the second quarter. That was almost all of the minutes that he played. I'd still like to see them try a bigger group during that stretch. The fourth quarter shift, I thought, like, they hung around okay, the Lakers did. But Memphis had their starting front court in, in terms of they had Jackson and Tillman in, and the Lakers were playing Rui and LeBron there with Troy as as uh, the small forward and I just thought that group was too small and, and so Wenyon played and he played one minute right like AD went out to close at the end of the first quarter so AD's been playing the full first quarter um but this game he did not, and I think Darvin tried to steal some minutes there, some rest for for AD because he was like, "Oh, we're up by a billion, so let's take AD out and get him a, a an extra minute and a half rest than what he would normally get." And, and so they brought in Wenyon, and I thought, I was "Like, oh, look, it's Wenyon. Maybe Wenyon's going going to play." Nope, he like closed yeah. out that quarter and then he went right back to the bench and the Lakers played their smaller group again with basically LeBron and Rui as the power for, as the two power forwards. I'm not even going to call one of them a center. Like they're both forwards and they guard the other big. So I don't know, man. Like for all that we talk about, like the great game and everything else, and it was LeBron was a minus six again. Yep, and. One of the reasons he was a minus six is because he he's playing in these lineups that really aren't great lineups. Like they are survival lineups in a playoff game where it's just I don't think you have to play these lineups. Actually, I would still like to see them try to play like a regular group and play Wenyon there. I thought Wenyon was active like a minute and a half, whatever. I thought he was active. He got after it onto the offensive glass. I don't think he had any stats at all, basically, right? And so, yep, all zeros in a minute and 11 seconds of action. So no statistical output at all. But it's just like, I just, 
like seeing Wenyan out there. I like his energy. I like his length. I like him trying to get out there and and just contest things and and just do Wenyan stuff that we know is sure. is helpful. So where are you at with these minutes? Because I don't think we learned a lot from the last game, but it's still interesting because they still don't look very good in these sure. stretches. Yeah, no, I... It, so for one, Memphis plays a pretty good group during those minutes. And like you said, and I think that's worth pointing out that that said, playing all even beyond like the size, the size issues and all of that, playing all of your worst players at the same time with your lesser of your two stars, like that's going to happen. Right. And so that's why I'm so zeroed in on on this is that those stretches can can undo a lot of good work. That said, I thought that there were some adjustments in in that in terms of like adding Austin to that group, I thought was an interesting wrinkle that I think you're correct that we didn't learn a whole lot in that particular uh, stretch. But I do think that giving LeBron a guard, another ball handler is super important. Our best second unit group all year long were the Russ and LeBron groups when AD was on the bench. Those were a plus 9.9 net rating in a really good sample size, in part because LeBron was definitively the big in that and Russ was definitively the guard in that. I don't think it has to be so, you know, uh, one or the other type of thing, but having another guy out there like Austin, I also think it alleviates some of the burden on Dennis, who finally got it going a little bit in the second half of that game. He'd been really rough through two and a half on offense, at least. And so, yeah, I think that that is going to be one of the storylines that the knock on wood, even if uh, the Lakers get beyond this series, is going to be something that they they have to address. Uh, one last thing, we'd, we'd be remiss to not bring him up. Rui, man, how awesome is Rui? And like seeing him come into his own Filling the lanes in transition, he's so decisive off of the ball, helping out a ton on the defensive glass, especially when he's next to Anthony Davis and not in those smaller groups, right? Um, just talk to me about what you're seeing from him, man, because he's just been been wonderful. Excellent Rui games, excellent Rui minutes, really seizing control as this sixth starter, really. Mm-hmm. And you always say, you know, to be a really good team. Yeah, you need seven dudes, I think you and six of them who you really think can start. And if you have seven of those guys, and that's even better. Um, Dennis has not been as strong this series. And so he mm-hmm. would typically be that seventh guy that you trust a fair amount. But Rui has been a guy who is cannibalized minutes. He's cannibalized some of Vando's minutes. He's cannibalized some of like Troy's minutes, right? And he has earned and he has earned this time. He has earned the trust of the coaches. It's it's hard to imagine that it was just a few weeks ago that he was a DMPCD when the Lakers played um, that Bulls game, I think, and mm-hmm. the team just went smaller. And now you see why we were sort of up in arms, not because we thought that this was possible, necessarily but just the fact that he is so useful and helpful in in so many ways <laughs> the idea though of playoff Rui is like super funny to me <laughs> not because he's not a capable player but just like he, he's now played in i think eight playoff games and he's shot over 50 percent in every single game yeah. and scored in double figures in every single game i was um i wrote something that at silver screen and roll that went up on friday and i talked about this idea of playoff Rui because when he played in the playoffs for the wizards he played in five games um and i think that was a year that they lost in five to to philly the mm-hmm. the russ year 
Rui averaged, I think, 14 and a half points and seven rebounds or something like that. But his shooting percentages were like he shot 66% from the field and 60% from beyond the arc. It's five games, small sample, right? But then through two games, he scored 29 points on like 70% shooting. And then he scored 20 points the next game on another like 70% shooting. And it's just like, okay, now he has another game where looking at the stats, what did he do in this game? He had 16 points. (laughs) He shot six for 10. He made both of his threes and both of his free throws. And so 100% from beyond the arc, Pete, um, 60% from, from the floor overall. And it's just like, He's just a guy who's reliably scoring and serving as a great second side player, a great cutter, a guy who was taking advantage of things in transition. He is decisive. Um, Mm -hmm. The thing I love about his game is that he's playing such a simple game. Right? It's just like, okay, you're giving me space on the jumper. I'm taking the jumper. You are closing out and there's no help. I'm going all the way to the basket. You are closing out and there's help. I'm shooting the pull-up jumper. I've got the ball ISO'd and I'm in the post. You've double teamed. I am passing. You haven't double teamed. I am backing you down and I am shooting my fade away. These are very like you do X, I do Y. Yep. And it's just like, and when you are talented, and the, and the other team is deploying their best resources on Anthony Davis or on LeBron James, and That's you've right. got the second or third best defender on you, then your decisions should be easy. And he is, he is I think, at that point in the, like in the graph, right? In mm-hmm. like where, oh, X happens and Y happens, and I'm right here and I'm doing my job. Yeah. And you love to see it. It's we talked about three level scoring so much as like on ball players, but he's a quintessential three level scorer off of the ball. That sequence you just described of if I'm open, catch and shoot, gonna take the three, and he can make it. He can get all the way to the rack if you close out hard to him and the help doesn't come over. And if it does, that elbow pull up, like he is. He works on these shots and he's trying to master these shots and has a great ability on them while filling the lane in transition, being that second guy that can drop down on the boards when one player boxes out, but you need a sandwich rebounder. Like just it's so cool to see him take this stage and make it his. And I'm just really excited to see him going forward and continue to see his development as a basketball player. All right. I'm not sure if we'll be back to preview uh, tomorrow. This is a special weekend edition of the LFR pod, uh, but we will keep you posted either way. Uh, If not, we should record after the game on Monday uh, or, or Tuesday morning. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around right. for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. 
Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's the move, two, one, it! It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant, yes! And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.